Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 192 of the podcast. Now, I would just like to say a huge shout out to Megs and Shan, who introduced me to today's guest, Angie Green. And I tell you what, this is such an impressive episode, not only from the message that Angie's bringing across or what she's believing in or what she has created, but her story is fascinating. Six years ago, she started stand-up events and it has just gone from strength to strength. And her story, her journey of perseverance, um, it is inspiring and um, one that you will really enjoy today as well. Probably you'll notice that I was out of my comfort zone today and I'll be honest about that, that we spoke about things that, you know, a lot of people struggle to portray or bring across or just know how to start the conversation. And I think that is why today's episode is one that will really hit home with everybody and something that we all need to hear. As well as that, Angie is simply inspiring and it is, everybody needs a little bit of Angie in their life. So guys, sit back, relax. It's episode number 192. Welcome back to the podcast. Very excited. Angie Green, how are you today? Yeah, well, thank you, Dale. Thanks for having me. Now, we had, uh, we've had a very interesting conversation leading up to this. I'm really good with names, Angie, and I called you Anita for a couple of weeks. The internet wasn't working. Uh, we couldn't get through my emails. I feel like the biggest freak. So I just want to firstly say I'm very sorry for calling you Anita. <laughs> You absolutely do not have to apologise at all. I, I absolutely loved it. And if it, if it does make you feel um, better, two weeks ago I was speaking to someone over the phone and they ended the phone conversation and said, see you later, Robert. And I went, <laughs> see you, mate. I just so like, maybe, maybe it's me. I don't know. <laughs> well, at least Angie, I'm a little bit closer than Robert. So that's all right. I'm happy with that. Now, I'm going to give a little shout out to Megs and Shan, who have introduced us. Obviously, yeah. mutual friends. And Shan's an ambassador for Stand Up Your uh, Charity. Now, before we get into that, do you want to paint the picture, a little bit of your background and how Stand Up became what it is now? Yeah, totally. Um, well, pretty much I was just, you know, saying to you before that, uh, uh, yeah, I started stand-up six years ago um, and it. the reason why I started it is I'm incredibly, just as a human being, incredibly passionate about um, challenging injustices and, uh, and social equality and um, just seeing people for people at the, at the bare minimum. And um, I guess, you know, especially when it came to sport, because what stand-up does is we deliver... AFL player-led programs into grassroots male team-dominated sports um, and we raise awareness around uh, the impact that homophobic and derogatory language and behaviour has on sporting cultures and this all this is something that I've always been fiercely passionate about I guess since growing up in a professional family, um, sporting family. So I'm the youngest of two boys and my older brother, Stephen, uh, played for Hawthorne Football Club um, for five years and then for Willie Williamstown, VFL. Uh, my dad, Russell Green, is in the Hawthorne Hall of Fame. And my pop, uh, Frank Sedgman, won um, a few... Uh, 
he was a professional tennis player and won a few grand slams and what have you and which like that's like that's great um but <laughs> Good I, stop, I that's, yeah, that's a very impressive yeah. resume <laughs> look, look yeah resume for them i got absolutely no part <laughs> so it really doesn't bode well for me to be honest but um but to sometimes some people are surprised because when you know they kind of know a bit more about me in the sporting background they naturally assumed that I would love sport um and I actually grew up really detesting it and not really wanting a bar of it and that was because um my other brother Brent who was and is a freak athlete um is gay and as he was growing up he uh, naturally felt very excluded from the male team dominated culture um, and not only it's not just about my brother you know I've got um, many LGBTIQ plus friends and family as well um, and the ripple effects that language and behavior has um, on cultures are really uh, they're pretty staggering, especially when you get some re research and stats behind it. And then also from a sociological level and personal level, um, I've, I've lost quite a few friends to suicide from a young age and they were all men and um, the stats around men and women. Um, and then you, you add in the LGBTIQ plus community against, against, sorry, in comparison to straight people, the, the rates of mental health and suicide are just profound, like or actually really quite terrifying. So um, when I started stand-up, um, it was interesting. People would be like, oh, you must do this because you love sport. And it's like, well, actually, um, I've come in to challenge the culture because of how much I dislike it. Yeah. So, so with that, though, like a lot of the time, because I've obviously grown up in sport clubs and everything like that. And I think at a young age, I, we didn't have any training like this, but um, I think a lot of the time you say things and I wouldn't even actually understand what I was saying. Do you find that bit like, and, and like I am so against every, like everything. That's why I'm so excited to share this with you, but I probably think back and if I, if someone had filmed me like doing, saying some things, I probably would have said some things back in the day. Do you find that sometimes people just don't actually realize the words and the impact they will have? Oh, like a hundred percent. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because one of the things that I want to make really clear is nothing about what we do is um, threatening or high horse or, you know, doing the blame game. Um, my dad is the first one to admit that he's a reformed homophobe. So as he was growing up, um, the type of language and behaviour that he used was hor horrific. Um, sometimes it was intentional, sometimes it wasn't. Um, but the result and the impact on the person who's copying it is the same. So when we go into clubs or when we do presentations or, you know, purely also just having conversations, it's raising awareness in a really non-judgmental um, environment. So pe we, we don't want people to feel bad about what they may have done in the past or are still currently doing. Um, but we really do believe that change comes with education and awareness. And if, if you understand the impact that um, certain language and behavior can have on people, um, we would sincerely hope that that alone would kind of shift perspective. Um, and then, you know, and when, 
we're no fools. Like we know that this is a slow burn. Um, and absolutely a lot of people would be meaning it um, unintentionally. Um, however, you know, we, we do have to understand that that's still causing a lot of damage. And if we can eliminate that, so much better for everyone involved. Yeah. And, and I know it is a, it's a very slow transition, but I could imagine the change from, particularly if you talk to your father, from his generation and the way they spoke and acted um, and how it's changing now and it's getting better and better, but it still needs to improve. And that's why what you've created and what you do is unbelievable. So let's go back six years ago. It's all great to have these ideas and want to change the world, but how did you actually make it happen? Like what was the first <laughs> step? Like, because you don't just go bang, g'day guys, I'm going to start a charity. I'm going to dominate. And then six years later, you're doing it. How did that happen? Um, it's, uh, Look, it, it, it came out of a, what I call a really, like, eat, pray, love moment. <laughs> Which, like, I, look, I, I was actually really down. I was really flat because I'd just finished, you know, six years of study, um, which was in counselling and psychology, and I thought that I was going to be a counsellor or a psychologist and... I did my thousand hours of placement um, and I got to the end of it and I realised, I was like, this is actually not what I want to do. Um, and that was a really deflating moment for me because um, just, you know, put so much investment into studies and what have you. And then I was like, no, my next step isn't just going to, you know, continue with life doing another course or just doing a job that I'm not really interested in. And so I actually did, I, I went traveling alone for like four months and completely alone, like had no interest in, I, I really wanted to think and really challenge myself and what have you. And I actually knew that I always, always wanted to do I was going to say something like this, but I, I always wanted to do exactly this, but to be brutally honest and get probably get a bit deep, I did not have the confidence. Um, I was, you know, I had a bit of self-esteem stuff going there, a um, bit of anxiety. I also thought that, you know, I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have the right skills. I just had a real issue with like thinking that I could even remotely do something like this. And then after traveling, um, I got home and it was just so clear to me. I was like, this is what I'm like intrinsically and wholeheartedly passionate about. And I just have to start. And so the next day I, um, yeah, applied for, for stand up and, um, just have worked so, so hard ever since and learned so many new skills from law to management to business to, you know, sponsorship, all this kind of stuff because because I was so passionate about it, I, I learned how to do it. So um, it's, yeah, it, it was, I think, having the risk and the confidence to be like, this is the only thing at this stage in my life that I want to do, so I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, I, I, and I'm just sitting here and I love that because I don't think anybody knows straight away that they're going to have all the skills to start something, but it's actually just doing it. Like you said, just going and registering, getting it going. But I want to go back to traveling because 
I'm a huge believer in the power of traveling, particularly by yourself, because it is a very hard thing. You're going to new places, you're meeting people, you're always on, all right? You never relax. Yeah. So what did that four months, because obviously that changed something inside you. What do you reckon yeah. it did? It just gave you the confidence that you could travel alone. So why couldn't I go back and start this? Who's going to stop me? Was it something like that? It was a hundred percent something like that. Like, mate, I live in Hampton and I get nervous going to Brighton in case I get lost. <laughs> like, it's, it's so it like my you know my, my, like my skills of just like you know like f- even finding spaces oh. is just so, <laughs> is just so bad. Um, and so I went, you know, I went to Budapest and Turkey. Like, just went to all these places yeah alone and i was like if i can get through this um you know even for the first step just like traveling alone and asking questions not knowing the language learning parts of the language um i did a lot of writing i did a lot of um just a lot of thick reflection all all on my own and i i found within a like quite quickly like even within a month i was like hang on i've already visited three different countries and I also didn't have any in like nothing was planned so I just had my ticket there and ticket back and ticket there was Spain back was from New York <laughs> so like I didn't Not very close right that that would explain probably not the best like logistical you know <laughs> Anyway, so I was just like, well, I've just got to find my way around until I leave. And um, the confidence that I got step by step within myself being like, hang on, I can, I can be, I can be by myself. And there were some really challenging moments in there and I got out of them. And I did cut from a self-esteem level. I did come back a different person and with more convictions and belief in myself so that definitely played probably the biggest part in me starting it yeah and I think that is a really big point there you know that you've got to have the belief in yourself and then but you've also then got to have the courage and I think it's massive courage to put yourself out there and start something like that and you know it was stand up I could imagine the first year or couple of years were pretty tough so let's talk about that how did you particularly when you're doing this by yourself, because a lot of business, I think, I think in, in Australia alone, uh, first year ABNs, I think something like 97% of them fail or something because it's hard. You know, people want the dream of doing this, but re- reality kicks in energy. It, it's not fun. You don't, I'm sure the hours you're working with are outrageous. So let's talk about what made you just keep going, going, no, I know I'm into something good here. Yeah. Be, because of the, purely because of the, passion and the desire to genuinely want to change something so a a few people since have been like oh you know and it doesn't matter what it is like jewelry toilet paper whatever it doesn't matter people have been like oh you know how and where did you start and I and I just said my number one question is like are you intrinsically like beyond passionate about this um because if you say no, um, it will be very hard to make it work from scratch. If you say yes, you will find a way. Um, because it is, as you've touched on, it is brutal. Um, the 
I, you know, I've been with my partner for six years and after the first month I said to him, I said, mate, if I was single, rejection would just not bother me anymore. Like the, like <laughs> you are constantly, well, I was, I was constantly told no, um, in every single way, shape or form. Um, but it was when I had my own moments of vulnerability being like, oh my God, this is too hard. And it's six, seven years on, whatever. It is still very, very, very hard. Um, In those moments, I remember why I started this. And absolutely for me personally, my why um, always comes through. And I realise that this is not about me. It's about the collective. It's about people, you know, not feeling shame about themselves anymore, people feeling like they belong, um, bullying, mental health, just everything. I think about my brother, I think about my friends, my friends who I no longer have, and it just outweighs everything else. Um, And yeah, we have been lucky and fortunate enough to find ways outside of things, because every single day there's another hurdle, big or small. So the the belief in it um, and why we're doing it and, I, and I'm doing it or what have you is just the main thing that gets us through every time. Yeah. And I, I love that. I think everybody needs to have their why, their purpose, because particularly in times like the moment age where, you know, the world's uncertain and things like that. If you don't have a passion, a belief or a purpose, then you sort of get a bit lost. Um, and I think that's a really good point. And if anybody is wanting to start something, you need to go all in. Otherwise, your energy is reflective of what's going to happen and, and the product that's going to come out at the end. So let's talk about, you know, the six, seven years. Have you just had times throughout there where you sit back and go, geez, I'm crushing it. Like I'm, and, and just say, no. I'm really proud of it. You haven't? Sure, no. you've been a couple of times. <laughs> come on, here's the time not to be modest. Let's brag no. a little bit. Come on. <laughs> No, no, the, 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 do you know what? There has been, because you, um, sorry, I, I can only speak personally because we do have great ambassadors and we've had, you know, great supporters and what have you. So I can only, I can only speak personally, but because you're, because the job is never done, like the, the main goal, the cause or what have you is never done. Um, it is. And this is, again, not a healthy thing to do. A healthy thing to do would be when you meet little milestones or big milestones or whatever, you sit back and you, you know, have a glass of champers or whatever and you take a couple of days off and you're like, yes, like I'm so proud. (laughs) You have never done that though, have you? (laughs) No, but it's like, yeah, cool, next, next, next. And it, and that's not, that's not a healthy thing either because that can lead to, lead to burnout which I have been through as as well but um I guess it's because I'm never content um or complacent with where we're at which is a good thing because if I ever you know thought of stand-up in a way where I was like oh I've got to do another speech or um gonna spit like then I would a hundred percent eliminate myself in in some way shape or form because that's that's not going to help anyone um and especially drive the change that we are wanting to but definitely definitely the biggest thing Dale where yeah I no yeah I've had one moment where I'm like 
oh, this is awesome. And it was, um, we, so stand up, we hired Monash University for $100,000. So we raised $100,000 in like eight months or something, which was just <laughs> so hard, like so, <laughs> so hard to do. And, um, and the reason why we hired them instead of partnered them with them is because of IP and what have you. But um, we hired Monash University to do research um, that has never been done before. And based on that research, we created the programs that I'm talking about, the customised preventative programs where we trained up um, a certain amount of players in this instance, it was Jaden Hunt from Melbourne, Jordan Roughhead from Collingwood and Tom Campbell from North Melbourne. And we, so Stand Up and Monash, trained up these players to deliver these programs into grassroots sports and they were measured um, because my personal and professional goal was always like, yeah, passion's great. Um, and, you know, saying you're passionate and doing events and all this kind of stuff is absolutely wonderful. Um, but if we're not creating real impactful, measurable change, I, I just don't care. Like, I, I want to back up what we actually do. Um, and on the 15th of December last year, um, we received our academic report um, from the measurements of the program, short and long term, and they were significantly impactful. Um, and that was just like, oh my God, because can you imagine if it came back and it's like, <laughs> no, shit. I couldn't. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> doesn't work. It'd be like, cool. Um, so Back-tabbing. that was. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to- um, totally. Um, yeah, so that was a moment where I was like, oh my God, we actually have a product for the cause that can shift real, real change. So that was awesome. And then enter 2020, um, and we can't go outside and deliver them. <laughs> Sorry. That's, uh, that's another question. And so, yeah. because a lot of this, you know, I present all over the world. I'm a speaker, like the presenters you have. Um, but yeah. you can do it online and I know it doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't, you know, we're having a conversation here through a computer. I'm in this little recording chair. You're at home. It's really cool, but it's not the same. Are you finding yeah. that you can still deliver your programs or they don't have the same impact now? No. Well, we, we fit. Sorry. I, sorry. I was about to say we physically can't, of course we can't, but even if we wanted to do it and like, I kind of came up with, you know, a few contingency plans or options and um because we the the programs get delivered to a minimum of essentially like 15 20 people at a time like a minimum um no one's obviously like the clubs aren't even getting together so it's you know and we and this year like one of the main goals i was also just about to train up to um uh another two AFL players and that was all when everything started happening and they were like oh you you know outsiders can enter our clubs and so there's there's a lot of factors to the programs that we just haven't been able to to do and so um I guess how I've personally and stand up has taken this um moment is you know stepping back obviously we're forced to step back but you know just just kind of work out the 
the best way to move forward once all of this does settle um, and continue to grow into as many sports as possible. We're about to go into the PFA, like the soccer, then obviously, you know, then they lost funding. Like, there's a ripple effect of everything. So it's just like, <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know. The world, it, it is one, I agree. And I know what you're saying, but with that as well, now that you have got evidence and stats to back everything up, that that's the game changer, isn't it? Because that's all people really worry about. It's, Yes, can you deliver an engaging session, but what are the results? What will we get out of it? Have you found now that you do actually have that? People are like, yep, we want this. We'll come on board. Yeah, it is such a massive piece for us in terms of credibility. Um, because, yeah, as I was saying before, you know, so many in terms of like rejection, you know, when you're going to funding or, you know, partners, whatever, donations, whatever it may be, um, you know, people are like, yeah, great, you've got AFL players, so what? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, totally. Um, this, you know, we're all so passionate where, you know, the, this is what we do, this is why we do it. And, you know, we've tried to back up, you know, absolutely everything that we do, um, but we didn't have our own thing to back us up on, obviously, how we deliver and design our program. So, um, yeah, even just at the beginning of this year to to start even to be able to start those conversations uh it people listen to us differently um purely because of the body of work that we we have behind us and um yeah hopefully moving forward that that makes even more of a statement because even even getting recruited clubs for the pilot program was so interesting to see how much of an issue this still is. So we had, I would have reached out to 63 clubs um, and we go into male clubs aged between 16 and 20. And um, just the amount of conversations that I had like with like presidents or what have you being like, yeah, nah, she's right, mate. We don't have any gays here. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this would be part of the problem. Um, but, yeah, so you obviously had to get recruited clubs to do, you know, parts of the research. And, you know, we ended up at the end of it, I believe, getting a certain amount of participants, but I think it ended up being, you know, 16 teams. But that's out of 63. And we were offering two AFL players for free to come to their training session. So... It was do very think, interesting. Do you think, and I, I know exactly what I think this is, that it scares people, that the president's the older sort of generation, it makes them uncomfortable. So, no, we don't need it. We don't need it. Straight away, you don't even know what we're going to deliver. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and they'll just shut it down? Yeah. Yeah, oh, 100%. I think there's an array of, um, of reasons. Yeah, I, I do believe part of it is generational. I do believe that a part of it is like, and it's the same thing. I don't know whether you, um, you're across this, but there's another incredible program called Safe Schools. Um, and it's, you know, speaking about the awareness of, you know, what some people go through regarding sexuality and or gender and how we can make schools uh, a more inclusive space for absolutely everyone, really non-threatening um, and is incredibly beneficial. Um, but most of their slack has been like, you you know, you're teaching our kids to be gay and trans and what have you. And it's like, that is absolutely opposite. 
yeah. yeah, it's not what we're doing. And so, I, yeah, I still think there's fear around maybe not knowing, you know, what our, our program is purely respectfully around language. Um, but I think there's a real fear of like, no, yeah, being uncomfortable and not knowing what we might actually say. Mm. But it's like, what, in terms of what we're saying, like, what, what are you actually fearful about like where, where does this fear come you know come from in terms of you saying no to a free free program so it's it's it it's very it's very interesting yeah mm, so so with that do you think this is something that will only change with age you know so as you know we've been brought up and even our generation wasn't that well educated as we were growing up you know we're both in our 30s yeah. Do you think yeah. as just time will improve this or that's, that's not acceptable. We can't keep having, you know, the issues or the homophobic slurs or different things like that. So what do you think the biggest thing needs to happen here to, to really, you know, make this a change? Yeah, I, I actually, I actually think Dale, that the biggest thing is accountability. So a lot, it's really easy. And we speak about this as well. Um, you know, we, we speak a lot about like, oh yeah, you know, if you say faggot or poof or what have you, that, that can have these kind of detrimental impacts and, you know, we go on the stats and what have you. It's all, it, it's very easy um, and it's great, but it's very easy not to say the words or to hit someone or bully someone or what have you, but also not condoning the language or behavior is a different section to it and it is one of the most powerful so for example you know what we really and i know i completely understand that it can be really uncomfortable um but for example if i hear someone at the footy or down the street saying oh yeah that guy's such a faggot i will turn around and say oh mate sorry just letting you know that that language isn't, you know, can you, can you please not say that? Or, um, you know, that language isn't really acceptable or what have you. Standing up against it is actually what has been proven, like shown to prove like, oh, it gets people to think. It, again, like in a non-threatening way, this isn't yeah, about yeah. making people feel like shit or, you know, this is just, how, it's, it's showing the world that people, people don't condone this anymore, that there really is a zero tolerance. Um, and so I think the more that we can stand up for ourselves and for others, there will become a ripple effect. But unfortunately, uh, like it, it does take time. Change takes time. But one thing that I won't, that I really struggle to accept is, you know, it's 2020, ignorance is no longer an excuse. Like, regardless of your opinion, like, you, you absolutely can have your own opinion. But when people are like, oh, I didn't know that that might be offensive. And, That's you know, a copy Sam, Oh, yeah. Like, when Sam Newman's like, oh, you, you know, all that kind of crap. It's like, you 100% know, like, ignorance is no longer an excuse. Like, we know the world that we live in at the moment. And if you're unsure, maybe just don't say anything at all. Yeah, you, you don't need to talk. And I, I think that's exactly the same yeah. with, with bullying. Like with bullying, if you see someone bullying someone, stand up. If you see someone speaking down because of race, sexuality, uh, and a, a disability, it's not acceptable about any of these 
avenues. And I think it takes so much courage, but it's so powerful. Like when you said that, that's not acceptable. We don't use that language. It's not having a go at that person, Angie, like putting them down. Sometimes it's just, as we say, educating them because they may not actually be aware of the impact of what he's actually doing. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like we, we found like in our studies, even something as simple as like saying to your mate or what have, or the stranger at the bar going, oh mate, pl- please don't say that. Like literally something as gentle and what, what have you, and that makes them go, oh God, like what, why would, and it either sparks a conversation or they've just been, you know, kind of called out in a very gentle way and they go okay maybe this casual or unintentional homophobia or transphobia or whatever it may be is actually like i'm becoming part of the mind you know minority um and you know we sport that it's really hard in a in a male team dominated sport um because there really is that like kind of at times like packed mentality and culture and you know normalizing a lot of stuff that you like I've heard so many footballers say oh I you know if I hear poof in the change room I don't even blink an eyelid but if I heard it out in society I'd be like oh mate you can't nah you know like it and so a lot about context and it's just like well really you And I think also with with male sport in particular in an elite level is what, you know, we often speak about in comparisons as well is, you know, at this stage, because no one is um, openly out, uh, if, if you do say homo or, you know, what have you, you you potentially may think that you're not offending anyone. So there's no visibility. There's no like, oh, I've said that and that's just hurt that person over there. But if you use the A word with Indigenous people around or, you know, some other racial slur, you know 100% that A, that's not going to be tolerated at all and that you have just directly offended someone and it would it would not go down at all and because like especially with the afl you know like there's a zero tolerance with racism as there should be in the internal culture and it's like well the the reason one of the reasons why there would be a lack of visibility is because cultures have never been safe and inclusive for everyone so even though you don't think you might be hurting someone with that word, I 100% guarantee you that there's potentially someone in that room that's just had a knife to their heart. So it's it's very it's very layered, but um, just because someone's around or not shouldn't make that language acceptable. No, it shouldn't. I think a lot of the time, as I argue that it is an uncomfortable topic, you know, like it does make people uncomfortable. It's like, I know when um, I was speaking to Meg and she goes, Oh, you should get Angie. I'm like, yeah, I, I think it's a really important to- It's a really important topic. And I'm like, I really believe in this, but even myself, you know, like, I'm like, will I say something wrong? Because I think a lot of the time we're like, yeah, will I say something wrong? Will I get myself in trouble? And I'm trying to help, but sometimes people's views and do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it totally- shouldn't be like that, but it is still. Yeah. No. And I, and Dale, I completely, I completely agree with you. You know, I, I have conversations with friends who are like, Angie, I'm even nervous. And this doesn't necessarily mean just my straight friends. Like this is, you know, 
friends of mine who um, identify in the rainbow community and what have you. And they're like, sometimes in public, I get really nervous about, you know, getting the letters wrong, for example, like with LGBTIQ plus and, you know, what, what have you. I wouldn't even I'm, try I'm, that, Angie. I'm, yeah. I'm not even going to try that. I'll leave that to you. You're doing very well. <laughs> no, no, totally. But, but people, get, people get so, people really do get so nervous. But I, I genuinely think for the most part that people can very much tell the difference when you're being sincere yeah. and you're trying to, learn in you know in the process or whatever it may be compared to someone who is acting you know out of sorts or it it looks like it's you know meant to be a swipe intentionally or 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 they just don't care about offending people like their you know their backlash might be like oh mate you know I don't care or you know what have you I think there's a big difference down to someone like you know you, for example, because you just said that sometimes you feel anxious. Um, there's a big difference between like you just wanting to do the the right thing, um, and that very much comes across in your nature. And I think the best thing to do, and I hope that what we do with our programs and how we speak to people is, we've got to create safe spaces for everyone. Um, people can't learn unless they feel really comfortable to ask questions without the fear of finger pointing or that they're going to get criticized that they're a homophobe or a transphobe or um like a do you know what I mean like that the, the, they're intended I, I do. to be yeah yeah, yeah. I do, so under, I, I do understand yeah. exactly what you're saying. And, and that's why I think it's important that people that may have a voice do have these conversations because if the more of these we have, and that's exactly what you're doing with stand up, the more conversations we have, the more aware of it, even just talking, even if, even I can learn something while I'm talking, if I say wrong, all right, maybe that's not the right way to go about it. But I think that's the important thing. It's, it's like when, you know, how do we talk about somebody's disability? We don't just ignore yeah. it. Do you know? And that's, and that's essentially yeah. what it is. Again, the worst thing you can do is actually ignore it. Talk about yeah. it, figure it out. And, yeah. and it's, that's what we need to do. Isn't it really like, don't ignore it. Yeah. Like, let's just have, let's just have, conversations and like be kind to it really does I think come down to like kindness respect and creating spaces where people feel that they can like not everyone actually has to agree with everyone um you know and but the way that we learn and we get educated on things and raise awareness is if we are allowed to ask questions and have real conversations with people without without fear or judgment, um, no matter how the conversation ends up. But, and I'm, I'm with you, Dale, there are so many other areas in life that I would be, you know, I'd be like, oh, can I, can I ask that yeah, question? That's what you need to do. You need to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would really hope that, you know, the person on the receiving end would know that I'm, I'm coming with this question, like out of sheer, kindness and intrigue and um and then hopefully then a conversation can happen otherwise i'm not going to learn and i'm sure as hell not going to google it <laughs> <laughs> that's led me to to many googles like my worst enemy <laughs> so uh, 
Oh, yeah, that's great. Well, guys, if you, you are listening, I think that's a really good point you can take away from this set. Um, these conversations need to be had. And the only way you learn is by doing. It's not by Googling. It's not by yeah. thinking. Actually talking to someone, getting it out there. And so I'm getting a better understanding today and I thought I already had a good one. But the more you can have these conversations with people, the more educated they'll become. And it'll mean that people don't feel threatened or they don't feel self-conscious or, you know, like you said, people taking their lives and mental health and yeah. things like that. And I think that's the big thing because life is already stressful enough. You know, we've got these crazy busy lives. We don't need other people saying certain things that we're going to hurt other people's feelings or, or even worse in the future. So um, guys, I'll have links for that in the end. Now, Angie, before I let you go, um, I'm aware you've got a little girl there and congratulations as well. Um, I've always got a couple of questions I like to finish off with. And if you yeah. can get back from 33 years of just dominating the world, traveling, starting a business, family, all this stuff, if you could give your 18 year old self one bit of advice, what would that be? Back yourself. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if I didn't, totally, if I didn't take a risk and go, do you know what, maybe maybe I can actually do this, I, I, I wouldn't have started stand-up and a lot of beautiful things wouldn't have happened as a, as a result. So yeah, um, having confidence, but yeah, backing, backing myself would be, yeah, definitely my advice to my 18 year old self. I, I love that. That's something that I think everybody needs because we need yeah. that little bit of confidence and um, the confidence, how much confidence do you get when you actually do it and it pays off. I love that. So um, when it's all said and done, I know you've got heaps of time left and you're ready to dominate. What legacy do you want to leave on the world? What do you want to be remembered for when people Google you? <laughs> I don't normally say Google, but you brought that up. <laughs> If I make it to Google, I'd be pumped. Um, no, no. But look, I, I, I want. I would love to be known, especially to my little girl, and if you know, I have kids in the future, what have you, and in this space, I would love to be known as someone who's um, unapologetic. Uh, it has been really really difficult at times, um, especially having, you know, conversations in the AFL world where, you know, obviously my family's connected to a lot of these people and, um, and I haven't always agreed and always agreed in public and, you know, it's, but I, you know, I, I think, I think what we collectively are fighting for is a better sporting world and world for for everyone um and i don't i i'd, I'd want to back that by being completely fierce and unapologetic and um someone who actually got shit done <laughs> bang that's an yeah. exact slogan not just do it yeah. get yeah. shit done i love it um, so <laughs> <laughs> Angie, after this, where's the best place to find you? Is it uh, on your website? Do you want to, if people are listening and they want to, you know, look into more in your school programs or just contact you or reach out, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, definitely, um, definitely, definitely at this stage, mid um, uh, COVID 19, definitely our website, which is www.standupevents.com.au. Um, yeah, we've got 
all emails there, like our social media pages. Um, I'm absolutely happy to answer anything. Um, yeah, and we've just put our report up there, um, up on the site, so you can see our findings of our programs and the work that we do. Perfect. Well, guys, I'll have links in the show notes. Now, Angie, thank you very much for today. It's uh, I love it when someone says you'll feed off each other's energy and you'll really enjoy it. And, and I did. And to be honest, going from calling you Anita to now being friends <laughs> over this and all that, it's been a super blast. So keep dominating with the work you're doing. And thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've really enjoyed today's interview. Oh, I'm so happy to hear. I mean, it's so, lo- I'm so happy to see you uh, virtually because I very much enjoyed our text messages. <laughs> um, and no, you've been lovely to talk to. And thank you for taking, thank you for taking an interest in actually asking the questions that probably a lot of people are a bit nervous to ask. So um, I really, really appreciate, appreciate it on behalf of, as well, of everyone involved in stand-up. Thank you.